0: I still have a desire to make sure the poll people are doing what they're supposed to be doing, right? It just seems like you should should know how to to do your job. And so whenever I go to give them my ID, I know there's several different IDs that you can give the poll workers. And the one that they want is going to be the driver's license because that's the easy one to scan. But you don't have to give them your driver's license. You can give them a, a, a whole list of IDs. And so what I did is I grabbed my uh, CDL, LTC, whatever that thing is, the uh, license to carry. And I gave them that just to see what they were going to say. Because I knew they were probably going to ask for the driver's license, which they're not supposed to do. They're allowed to take any sort of government-issued ID, and that's one that's on the list. And they asked for the driver's license. And I thought in my mind... I'm not supposed to ask for the driver's license. This works. And in my mind, I wanted to tell them how to be a better poll worker. That's what I wanted to say. And then I remembered this past week that I talked about listening and doing and listen before you. And I also realized it was 530. The poll worker only had an hour and a half. And thank goodness that they were even running that thing. That's got to be a, I've done it. It's not the greatest job in the world. And I decided to keep silent. And you know what? Everything's okay. Life went on, it's all right. I didn't have to teach the poor worker a lesson. <laughs> Later on in the week, I'm driving and there's a guy who was stopped at a red light. And the light turned green and it was, he was waiting a little bit. And I figured that guy in front of me needs to know that the lights turned green because he wants to know just like I do. And so I give him a courtesy honk, but it was, it wasn't a slamming on the horn. It was a tap, 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 honk, honk, honk. That's nice, right? Let him know, hey, it's time to go. I, I would like that. I get that. And I always say, oh, sorry, thank you. That guy sticks his hand out the window,
1: <laughs> lets
0: me know what he thinks of me. There's no thank you there. I'm thinking, wow, what a quick reaction to the courtesy honk, honk, honk. And it made me laugh at first, but then I'm parked next to the guy, and I'm looking, and I'm not staring him down, but I'm I'm looking and thinking, what's going on in this guy's mind? Why would he get so angry so quickly? And I thought, maybe I don't need to say anything, but maybe I need to get out of my car and just punch him in the face real quick. (laughs) But I knew that's probably not the right response, so I didn't. But then I wanted to say... Why would you get so angry so quickly for someone that lets you know something that you would all... I know he wanted to get somewhere quickly because he was driving fast after that. Why did he react in that way? But you know what? I said nothing. And that was probably the right thing to do. And we both went on about our life and everything was fine without me having to say a word. There are times when we probably just need to say nothing but then there's also times when we should speak. There are times when we should speak up, and we talked a little bit about this in our small group. If you're not part of a small group, you should really get involved in a small group. There, we're gonna we're gonna talk more about how we're gonna uh, help out the small groups in 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 the in the future. I think December fourth, we're gonna talk a little bit about what our small groups are all about. That's gonna help us as a, as a congregation, and so. In our small group, we talked, and one of the things that was mentioned uh, came from something that is used by some civic organizations and something that has been brought up in this world of what we should say. And the Rotary Club of, of America, or the Rotary Club, that I don't know if anyone in this congregation is part of it, and I don't even know if this still going to have a Rotary Club. We have Lions Club, we have Chamber of Commerce, but it's just a kind of a civic club. Well, one of the things that they say is they use the, this, these four criteria. If you should speak up and say something, and these are good four criteria. They say, is it truth? So should I say something? I, if it? If it's not true, I don't need to say it. Is it fair to all concerned? Is if is it fair for me to say what I'm about to say? Will it build goodwill and friendships? And will it be beneficial to all concerned? And if you can answer yes to all of those, then you should probably say something. That's a good time to step up and say something. So that's a good rule of thumb. I like like that idea the Rotary International has. But a lot of times, we don't have the time to process through or we don't process through these questions. We don't process through this information and we react. Strictly out of emotion, like we talked about last week. And some of the times when we act like that, we say things that might be hurtful, say things that aren't fair, say things that may, might not be true. And that's not how God calls us to live our life. God calls His people to live a higher standard than what this world has to offer. If we're going to be mature Christians, like the book of James is teaching us, we've got to learn to have control on what we say, because what we say often can hurt the message we're trying to get out. James says in James chapter 1, verse 26, those who consider themselves religious... And yet, do not keep a tight rein on their tongue, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. James is talking to a a group of people that have come out of Judaism. And in in Judaism, there's all sorts of rituals, there's all sorts of uh, festivals that they go to. And they can go and they can practice all of these rituals, all of these festivals. And yet when they run their mouth in a way that discourages others, that puts others down, that shows anger to others, their religion just becomes worthless. And while we are now a, a, a church that, is, that has been around for over 2,000 years, right around 2,000 years, We still have these little ritual kind of things that we do. Now, what we have in here every every week, I get with the song leaders, and we put together something like this. It's the order of worship. There's nothing wrong with the order of worship. Matter of fact, if you read a lot of what Paul talks about, he talks about how to have orderly worship, and that's a good thing to to come here and to sing songs of praise, to do the Lord's supper, to have an offering to have a sermon, to have Bible class. We, we do that. We go through this, this little ritual almost every week. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if we go through the motions of what we do on Sunday, what we do when we come on Wednesday, we spend these few hours glorifying God, and yet the rest of the week we go out and we slander others. We speak ill of others. We have loose lips. our religion, what we've done here starts to become worthless. And we all struggle with this. So one of the things that James does is he has a whole chapter, basically, that he talks about having control on our mouth, knowing when to not run our mouth, when to close it, having control of our tongue. (coughs) And so he starts off this section of taming the tongue, and he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now this verse right here is one of the worst verses for our education committee to go and find teachers. Because they say, well, James says not many of us should be teachers. James is trying to give you an excuse, but... That is not really what James is talking about. If you go back to what life was back then, a teacher that he's talking about isn't a Sunday school teacher necessarily. This teacher he's talking about uh, more exemplifies something like a rabbi, something that Jesus did. As Jesus had these 12 apostles that gathered around him, and they spent their time with him, that's the teachers he is talking about. This is something very common both in Judaism and in the Greek Roman world. You had philosophers like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. And what they did is they had all these followers that were around them all the time. And they taught. And you were called to live like your great teacher. And so it was something that really was their whole life. It wasn't just a Bible school teacher that they saw once a quarter. Though it's important to make sure we hold the word of God in high esteem and try to try to get it as accurate as possible. Jesus is talking to these people that are heavily involved in their students' lives. And so I would say in this verse, it would probably be closer to what maybe a youth minister would be. And he'd say, not many of you should be youth ministers. And I did youth ministry for almost 15 years. And I know for a fact, there's a lot of guys that I would say they probably didn't need to be in that position. Because the people that followed them emulated them. And when they went astray, they had folks go astray. So he wants us to be careful with our teaching and mainly what he's talking about is how we use our word. Do we use them to uplift others? Do we use them to praise God? Or do we use them to do the opposite? And then James reminds us that No one's perfect. We all are going to struggle with this area of our life. He says in verse 2, we all stumble. Now James is including himself. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. You see what he's saying here is if we were able to be perfect in how we used our, or we were able to not slander anyone. If we were able to use our words in such a way that always glorified our God and always uplifted our neighbor, we would be perfect in this life. And yet, none of us are perfect. We all stumble, and when we stumble. We need to do something about that. We need to learn from how we stumble. We need to learn from what we did wrong. You see, words will escape our mouth at times. We allow our emotions to get in in control of us. And one of the things that happens is we realize that the words that come out of our mouth often reflect what was going on in our heart. And so if the words are quickly escaping our mouth, words that we knew we shouldn't say. That's not a, a, a problem to say, well, I just got to watch my mouth. It's probably something that says I need to change my heart and what's going on in my heart. I need some—I need that to change so that I can live a life that's more glorifying to God. Because the words that come out of our mouth can get us in trouble. I love uh, this, this verse in, in Proverbs, Proverbs 18, verse 6, it says, A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin. His lips are a snare to his soul. The words of a gossip are like delicious morsels. They go down to the inner parts of the body. The wise man in Proverbs And this wise brother of Jesus, James, are going to show us that our mouth has a tendency to get us in trouble. Our mouth can get us beaten up at times. Our mouth can cause us to lose our job. Our mouth can break relationships. A mouth can end, end a marriage. Our mouth can destroy lives. And our mouth can destroy a church. And so James wants us to learn how can we control the words that come out of our mouth, and he gives us an idea of what that will look like. In verse three, it says, "When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal." The bit can turn the whole animal. It can take it to where you want it to go, and sometimes the rider on that animal doesn't know how to move the reins. I'd be one of those riders. Every time I've ever gotten on a horse, it's always ended in me looking foolish. At uh, Camp Deer Run, where I worked for five years, they had this place called Horse Hill, and I don't know why they still have it at camp. They probably need to get rid of that whole thing because those horses have made me look like a fool too many times in my life, and... For some reason, I've always gotten on the horse, gone on rides, and I looked silly. And so I decided my last year that I was working out at Camp Deerun, I was going to get on this little horse. His name was Rusty. And Rusty was, I think, part Shetland pony, part horse. He was a little horse. And I felt like, I'm a bigger guy. I I can sit on this horse and I can control this little pony horse. And Rusty had this habit of bloating out his belly whenever he put his saddle on. And so once the saddle uh, went on, they, they strapped it down. But he was also a little horse, so they didn't have a great saddle that fit him. And so I get on this horse, and I notice the saddle's a little loose, but I can control the horse, so I'm on this horse. We go up the, up the, up the hill. They, they, I guess there's a little hill up at Camp Deer Run. And all of a sudden, this horse decides it hadn't run in its last 20 years. He was going to give it all it had with me on top. He wanted to get me off. And I'm running. I'm going sideways and sideways because the saddle's so loose on the horse. And I just pull on the reins, but nothing's happening. finally, the, uh, what do they call those guys? The wranglers, they come up and they get control of Rusty. And I get off. I said, I'm done. Done riding horses. See, this bit can move the horse, but it, depends on who holds the reins. And if we're going to hold the reins on our life, we're going to go out of control, just like I did with Rusty. We need God to hold the reins, to steer us, but we can only do that if we make our God the Lord of our life. So he says this little bit can control the whole wild animal, this wild horse, but then he gives another example. He says, Or take ships, for example. Though they are so large, they're driven by strong winds. They're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. See, this boat is steered by this little rudder. And... When I was looking at at, at ships, I I told a couple of stories about ships uh, recently, about taking this this boat across uh, in a storm, and that's no fun. You need an experienced captain. One of the things that I looked up, I saw saw earlier this year, one of the highest-paying jobs. So if you want a high-paying job, this is a job you can do. It's called a harbor pilot. Anyone ever heard of a harbor pilot? What they do is as the, as the big cargo ships come into the port, they're met by this guy that understands what, all the, all the uh, highs and lows in, in the harbor. So he navigates around the sandbar. He makes sure that this $100 million worth of cargo gets safely to the dock where he parks it inches from where it needs to be, and so the problem is that harbor pilot who gets paid $434,000 a year sounds pretty good, right? Has to get off of his little boat, jump on a rope, and climb up into the ship. One in 20 harbor pilots die on the job. A lot of money, a lot of risk. But these guys are so experienced that they make sure that this ship gets to where it needs to be. It navigates around into the exact place that it needs to be. And so one of the things we've got to realize is we can't take this ship that's sailing our life all by ourselves through the harbor. If I'm in charge of the ship, what's going to happen is we are going to hit the sandbar. We're going to wreck. We're going to ruin everything. But what it's trying to tell us is we need to let the true captain take control. And that's our God. He's the one that controls control us. He's the one that can help us use our words wisely. We need his spirit in our life so that we can live in a way where we don't destroy our lives and destroy others. He talks about how quickly the tongue can ruin our life. He says, likewise, the tongue is the smallest part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire. And it is itself set on fire by hell. Those are pretty strong words, right? What you see up in this picture is a picture of my backyard last year at this time, I think. It was either last year or two years ago. We don't live in the city limits, so we can have little fires in our yard. And I was burning, I think, Amazon boxes or something like that, and all of a sudden all right, we'll help you. <laughs> all of a sudden, this fire starts going out of control in all directions and if you see in that in that room right next to right next to the the house Dane is sitting in there and I start banging on the door and say Dane I need your help and we get some shovels and we start putting out this fire and the fire was going so quickly luckily the two of us we inhaled a lot of smoke that day but we got that fire out these little sparks jumped off just little little uh, sparks that flew off of the of the cardboard boxes went and it started and it was going to make our neighborhood into quite a mess he says that's what the tongue is the tongue can destroy your life so quickly think of someone in your life that you used to have a good relationship but then they said something to you and that changed everything forever We can't really take words back. People know what you said, and we can spread it in such an evil way that we can spread lies about others. We can spread rumors about others. We can, we can gossip about others. And before we can stop it, it just gets out of hand like a fire. We got to be careful with our words, but we can't just do it on our own. James says, all the animals and birds and reptiles, sea creatures, are being tamed and have been tamed tamed by mankind. But no human, no human being can tame the tongue. It's restless evil, full of deadly poison. He's letting us know that there's all sorts of wild animals in this world, but the wildest. It's our tongue. It can't be tamed by just human beings. I was in high school, and the, the mascot of my school was a cougar. We were the Nimitz Cougars. And I was coming in from soccer practice, and I was, uh, this is back when I could run, I, I was running in from practice into the locker room. As I ran around the corner, there was a cougar, life-size, real cougar, sitting outside the locker room door held by a chain, and two guys are just holding on to this cougar, this wild animal, and as I round the corner real quick, the cougar just looks at me, and I, and I, and, and they say, sir, you got, or they didn't call me sir, I was a little high school kid, they said, they said, boy, slow down, I want to get this cougar riled up, so you don't have to tell me twice, and then I start thinking, that cougar is on the chain, what is going to happen if the cougar just decides to eat them and get rid of them? <laughs> So this is a bad idea, but I guess our drill team needed to have pictures with the cougar. But humans contain wild animals. We've gone, most of us have gone to circus. You got to see uh, elephants walking around, people giving elephant rides and Lions jumping through hoops. and That's what James is trying to let us realize is on our own. We can't tame the tongue. Our tongue can't be tamed. There's wild animals that can be. But our tongue can have a mind of its own if we don't give our God the reins. In verse nine, he says, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. He says, my brothers and sisters, this can't be. Our words, our mouth can be used to praise our God, and then our mouth can be used to curse his people. And we all probably have an idea of what that's like. What it would mean if someone went and congratulated you and talked all sorts of great things about you. If y'all told me at at, at, at worship, said that was a that was a wonderful sermon. Feel pretty good. Say thank you. I, I appreciate that. Hope God was glorified in the sermon. But then I saw you sitting and yelling at Sydney and Mary and Dane. I'd probably think. Well, I don't like that person as much anymore, right? You can't just sit here and praise me and then talk negatively about my family and curse them and belittle them. It just doesn't work that way. And that's what God's saying to us is you can't sit here and praise him and then see his children, see the people that he created and curse them. If you look at that monitor out there, you're going to see lots of faces of people in our community. And I would, I would encourage you to go and look at the, those faces. And some of these people in the community can bother us. And we see, oh, these people are the problem with this community. Our God wants us to understand it's not that they're the problem. They're the potential harvest for us. They're the ones that we're called to go out and reach or they're the ones that we're trying to tell the good news to. We're not called to go out and curse them but we're called to teach them the good news of God and about his love. In order to do that we need to be a refreshing fountain. He ends it, this this, this, uh, this section with this he says both fresh water, And salt water flow. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James wants us to realize and our Lord wants us to realize that if we're going to glorify Him, We've got to be a fountain of fresh water going out into this world, encouraging others. This is a hard world to live in, and so we need our Lord to help us navigate through this harbor. Help us get around all these sandbars that are going to try to destroy us. We can't do it on our own. We have to have Christ in our heart. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, Whatever is in your heart determines what you will say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. Jesus wants us to have a good heart. He wants us to be able to say wonderful things to him, to glorify him. But he also wants us to reach all the people in our world with this message. From our heart, our mouth will speak. And if we fill our lives with Him, if we fill our lives with His Spirit, we're going to be able to speak kindness and graciousness. We're going to be able to tell the good news to those that need to hear it. That's what we are called to do. We can only do it if Christ is in our life. And the way we can do that is we can be baptized into him so that we can receive the gift of his spirit. And then we allow the spirit to work on us, to sanctify us, to allow us to grow closer to him each and every day, to follow his example each and every day and let that spirit speak through us. And glorify God through the way we treat others and speak to others. If you need to be baptized today to get that spirit, you can do that. We have the waters of baptism ready for you. Or if you need any help in surrendering your life to him so that he can take control of the rain, so that he can navigate this ship of life for you. Please come while we stand and sing.